today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. A recent poll done this week outlined what some of the key issues are to you right now in Ontario and just ahead of the election campaign. Here's Global's Tina Trajani. What matters most to voters this time around? According to an Ipsos poll done for Global News, the most important issue is health care. Daryl Bricker, who heads up Ipsos, says number one was a bit of a surprise and a real shift from the last time we were at the polls. If there was anything that people were really focused on in the last election campaign, it was reducing the cost of hydro. That placed further down the list. Breaker says that's still on people's minds, but not as much as it was. Handling the pandemic was the second most important concern for voters. But after that, everything else is really about affordability and the cost of living particularly things, for example, like the day-to-day cost of groceries and gas, lowering taxes, and interestingly, making housing more affordable for the middle class. He says party leaders will no doubt be paying attention to these kinds of polls so they can build their campaigns to appeal to the most number of voters. Tina Trajani, Global News. And that seems to have been the case. All three parties have already announced plans for long-term care improvements. Part of it includes plans from at least two of the contenders to end for-profit long-term care in Ontario. Long-term care is an important issue to Dr. Ahmed Arya, who is a palliative care physician working in long-term care homes. He also serves as a lecturer for the Department of Family and Community Medicine at the U of T and is an assistant clinical professor at the Department of Family Medicine at McMaster University with all that on his plate. Thank you so much, Dr. Arya, for making time for us this morning. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for inviting me to this important discussion, Shauna. Well, as just sort of a a baseline for this discussion, what do you think of the for-profit versus not-for-profit model in long-term care? Yeah, so that's actually been, you know, something that's been discussed and actually well-researched in the literature for for a long time. And we've known that actually, even before the pandemic, um, people who lived in for-profit long-term care facilities suffered worse outcomes. Uh, They were more likely to be hospitalized and they actually had a higher mortality rate, more likely to have bed sores, more complaints. And this gap in care actually was extremely dangerous during the first few waves of the pandemic, where we know that the death rate from COVID-19 was significantly higher in for-profit long-term care facilities. These were the facilities or, you know, these accounted for almost all of the facilities, the for-profit long-term care facilities where the military needed to be sent in or there were, you know, hospital management orders. And definitely it's very clear that the vast majority of the public, including health and and also health workers, um, you know, really almost everyone wants to end for-profit long-term care. It's bad for the taxpayer. It's bad for older adults and people with disabilities who who live in these facilities. And it's bad for the health workers. Yeah, I remember at the beginning of, of the COVID crisis, we were all shocked by those reports coming from the military about the conditions at some of those long-term care facilities. Uh, Global News did a 10-part series on long-term care and uh, and what we needed to do about it at that time. But sometimes the shock wears off, particularly when we start to see the cost. And I think we need to keep that emotion going so that we do right by, by the people who are headed into long-term care. Right, right. I think that's a great point. And I just wanted to tell everyone, and I think this is an important, very important discussion. Um, You know, I'm no health economist, Shona, but I can explain to you why, just very briefly, why it's actually more expensive 
to actually build more for-profit long-term care facilities. And the reason for that is because all facilities, regardless of whether they're non-profit or for-profit, are subsidized by us, the taxpayer. The government is subsidizing all of these facilities, including the building of the of the actual you know facility including the staffing you know the food that goes into these facilities into these facilities this is all subsidized by the taxpayer now in the for-profit long-term care facilities what is happening is that any extra surcharges for private rooms or anything else is actually taken away and is used to pay shareholders is used to pay for ceo bonuses or executive bonuses whereas in the non-for-profit facilities all of our taxpayer dollars are going toward care. So even if I was a taxpayer and I was looking at the cost of this system, I would definitely not want to invest in for-profit long-term care facilities. I would want to invest in non-profit care. And also a very important discussion that is coming up through this election is I would actually want to invest in home care over long-term care in general. Well, I I remember it might have been well, maybe 20 years ago. So you're forgiven if you don't have this particular study at your fingertips. But it was out of McMaster University, and it was taking a look at uh, at uh, profit-based healthcare systems, uh, Canada right. versus the United States. And basically, they were saying, much as what you have just alluded to with long-term care, uh, the level of care decreases, because if you're going to satisfy a shareholder, um, are you going to use three bandages after that surgery, or can you get away with two? And those are some of the decisions that negatively impact the people who need the care the most. Yep. It, it, as Like, honestly, it negatively impacts everyone, as I mentioned, and the people that win are these large corporations. So it's not it's, it's actually not even good for the taxpayer at all. It's more expensive. Yeah. And healthcare being one of the key issues for people, at least at this point, uh, as we head towards an election on June the 2nd, um, dealing with long term care is such an important factor of that. Not only because of of the money and and providing responsible care to people, but the bottleneck of the hospitals that we keep talking about, um, overcrowding at hospitals, it's because they are waiting to transfer patients who should actually be in long-term care. Yeah, that's absolutely right. We have about, as far as I'm aware, uh, about 5,000 patients on ALC list, which means an alternate level of care. People who are admitted into hospitals who don't need to be in hospital and no longer need acute care. And um, we also have about 40,000 people on a wait list who are in their homes, assumingly, or, you know, assumedly uh, on the wait list for long-term care. So absolutely, we have a bottleneck. But I will emphasize that actually, you know, one way out of this is to build more long-term care facilities. And we've talked about, of course, if we are building long-term care, we should be focusing on non-for-profit long-term care, which is actually better for the taxpayer and better care, as you mentioned. But actually, where we should be really thinking about shifting our elder care system is away from long-term care facilities and actually, you know, these warehouse-style buildings where we have 200, 200 or 300 people under one roof and rather towards home care which is even more cheaper and even more better. We've seen this model work in many European countries. And once again, now is the time to actually shift our elder care system and overhaul our elder care system to make sure this happens, because this is actually what you know the majority of seniors want. We know that polls show us that 90%, roughly around 90% of seniors in Ontario, um, and some polls even say close to 100% of seniors, uh, want to remain at home and age at home for as long as possible. 
Well, uh, you know, that really hits home for me and my family, and I think a lot of families. Um, About 12 years ago, my father passed away from metastatic melanoma. He wanted to die at home. And at the time, we were lucky enough to have enough uh, health insurance from uh, his employer, uh, as well as uh, the Community Care Access Center. We were able to give him around-the-clock care at home. That's where he wanted to be. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a very important conversation. And um, I think, you know, honestly, you know, thank you so much for sharing your, you know, you know, your personal experience. And I'll share with you working as a palliative care physician where I have these conversations with patients and their families every day and have been having these conversations for many, many years. I'm 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 actually quite shocked when someone tells me they want to go into long term care. Almost no one actually wants to be transferred to a long term care facility. Uh, Everyone you know, as I said, this is a generalization, but almost everyone wants to stay in their own home for as long as possible. And we can actually make that happen because once again, home care is a lot cheaper. Firstly, you don't need to buy land. You don't need to erect this, you know, huge building. And, you know, we're spending billions of dollars on building new long-term care facilities. So it's a lot cheaper, you know, because you don't have capital expenditure. And secondly, the cost of actually providing care in home is about half the price of, you know, a long-term care bed. So it's roughly about $100 a day compared to $200 a day. So even if we actually increased home care services, which we absolutely should, it would take, you know, we could increase it dramatically, and it would still be cheaper than institutionalized care in long term care. Yeah, it's interesting what you're saying, because uh, I'm hearing a lot of uh, promises about adding thousands of beds here and there and uh, entering into negotiations to uh, end for profit health care. But when you talk about adding thousands of beds, well, it's not just the beds. You need the support staff as well. And they, there hasn't been as much information about that. Right. I mean, I think that's a very important point. And I'll just sort of share, I'm sure, you know, anyone who's living in long-term care or receiving care in the home care system or as a loved one uh, in these systems understands how understaffed we are at this point in time and how understaffed, to be honest, we've been for decades. It's just gotten worse through the COVID-19 pandemic. So I can tell you, you know, I work in actually one of the best long-term care facilities in downtown Toronto, which is a not-for-profit long-term care facility, Kensington Gardens. And we pride ourselves because we have one nurse for 25 patients uh, in the day and one for 50 at night. And many other long-term care facilities, their ratio is one for 30 or maybe one for 32 and one for 64 at night. So these are ratios that many people aren't aware that there's so few nurses in our long-term care facilities. And to give you a bit of a contrast, Shona, you know, we have a hospice next door to our long-term care facility. And in the hospice, the ratio is one to five for nurses. So every patient, so, so, so there's one nurse for five patients in hospice, but one nurse for 25 patients in a really good long-term care facility. So obviously we need to do a lot more to improve working conditions and hire many more health workers. Well, and it's interesting, the point that you're making here, because uh, we had a family member uh, in my extended family uh, who was first in hospital. And then when you take them out of a a clinical bed at a hospital, you would actually go around the corner to where there was long-term care. So it was in the same hospital facility, but very different levels of care. Um, And how much the responsibility was on the family to provide things, to be there to help with their care. And it was in our best interest in terms of this person's care that we were there every day, that we were an active family um, and they could see that. And I I think it speaks in in part to what you were saying about uh, burnout because um, it's, it's a very real thing. 
Um, we're losing people every day from the healthcare sector because they just can't take it anymore. Yeah, I mean, you brought up some excellent points, Shona. So uh, absolutely, I see this in my practice, and I've seen this for many, many years uh, throughout the healthcare system, whether it's you know, people admitted in hospital, people who are in home care or in long-term care. Uh, family caregivers are essential partners in care. So people are coming in, uh, you know, not just for social visits, although socialization and easing, uh, sorry, easing social isolation and loneliness is a very important role that often family can fulfill the best and does and is equally important to any other aspect of care. But on top of that, we see that family caregivers are often helping with medications, are often the first to recognize that there's a change in health status and are talking to the healthcare team. They're often helping with interpretation, with feeding, with actually getting to the bathroom, mobilizing, so many duties. So family caregivers are essential. I truly believe that we actually need to offer compensation, uh, you know, to people to, pr to provide these essential care duties. And, you know, as you mentioned, Shona, there's a big issue around working conditions in in long-term care and in home care especially, where we can actually improve working conditions to actually retain health workers. Our current government does have, you know, is trying to move somewhat in the right direction. They're not hiring enough nurses, I believe, but they are committed to hiring more PSWs in particular, and they've made the pay increase for PSWs permanent. But the issue is, is that even if we're investing in hiring more PSWs, people will just leave the sector after some time because, you know, they're, they're not treated well, they don't have a livable wage, they don't have paid sick days. Um, they don't have work. In the case of long-term care, they're not working at a single site. So often people are working at multiple long-term care facilities. And then there's a big policy, which we talk about, called equal pay for equal work. So what this means is that regardless of which sector you work in, if you work in home care or if you work in long-term care or if you work in the hospital, whether if you're a PSW or nurse or any other health worker, you should have relatively the same starting wage and the same opportunities for promotion. And that's definitely not the case right now. Is it better for uh, people who are working in long-term care to be in a not-for-profit model than it is for a for-profit model? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So we definitely know that the research shows that uh, if you work in a non-for-profit long-term care facility, you're more likely to have a permanent job or a full-time job as well, uh, more likely to have benefits. And these facilities are also less likely to rely on agency staff. Right. So generally, the working conditions are better. But across this sector, I'll tell you that the majority of health workers often have, not always, but often have multiple part time jobs and once again relies on agency work. Disproportionately worse in the for profit sector and better in the not for profit uh, section of long term care. Well, and, you know, further to that point, when you've got a number of part-time jobs, A, you're exhausted, you're trying to juggle schedules all over the place, and you may right. not have any benefits. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So that's actually part of the problem where we cannot continue under-resourcing and underfunding this sector. Just yesterday, I'm not sure if you're aware, Shona, we had like sort of survey data that came out from the federal government. And we know that actually, I mean, to no surprise, to be honest, for many people, our population is aging quicker than ever. Um, last year was actually the year that our largest age demographic, baby boomers, last year meaning 2021, last year, this was the year when baby boomers turned 75. So we've known for a long time that this age demographic is going to become sicker and older and will need more care and support. And actually, the survey shows that, you know, the number of people who are aged 85 and older has uh, actually doubled since 2001 and is going to triple by 2046. So are we ready as a country to care for our aging population? And I'll be honest with you, Shona, the answer right now is no, because 
several levels of government have kind of neglected this issue. They haven't really taken action. And often we're caught up in these four-year election cycles and we're delaying the action that we need to do. And we're digging ourselves into this hole. When we have the information, we have the evidence, we know what to do. So I really hope that now, I mean, we have a, you know, of course, a provincial election coming up in Ontario. I, you know, I really hope now that, you know, us as Ordinary citizens will vote at the ba- will, will will vote for this election and vote for people who will actually be sincere and try to fix our elder care system. We're speaking with Dr. Ahmed Arya about issues uh, with regards to long-term care. I am so glad that you brought up the issue of uh, the expanding demographic at the higher end of the scale because that's definitely something that I wanted to touch on. We have known for decades that this was coming, and we have done virtually nothing to really prepare for the onslaught of of elder care that is going to be needed. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree. And to be very honest with you, I think we are doing some things to improve the system. But by and large, if we look at the current policies, even after the COVID-19 pandemic, where we know disproportionately older adults have been the, you know, have been the people who have been suffered, who have sort of suffered and died from COVID-19. And clearly, you know, there was a disproportionate impact of COVID-19 in long-term care across the country. Um, you know, we had an opportunity for a dramatic overhaul and we still have that opportunity, but I'm not hearing and I'm not seeing in terms of announcements from, you know, governments, uh, whether it's provincial governments or, you know, or, or even our federal government, the shift that I feel that is actually needed at this point in time. And I can explain, you know, just sort of very basically where we're lacking. So, for example, there's austerity measures at this point in time for our elder care sector, whether it's long-term care or home care. And when we look at other countries, for example, countries in Northern and Western Europe, like Denmark or Germany and Netherlands, these these countries are spending roughly about 3% of their GDP on this elder care sort of section, right? Meaning home care and long-term care. But Canada is spending around 1.3%, right? So we're spending almost about, we can estimate about half of what these countries spend. And then the proportion of our spending is incorrect. So many of these countries spend 50% or actually even, you know, in the case of Denmark, around two thirds of their money on home care rather than on long-term care, which as we've talked about, long-term care is more expensive. It's not where people want to be. But Canada is doing it the opposite way, where about two thirds of the of the money that we're spending, and once again, we're underspending as a whole, but two thirds of the money that we're spending is on long-term care rather than on home care. So what we need to do is we need to stop underfunding the sector altogether. And of course, a lot of that comes from the federal government, as I'm alluding to, because the federal government is really, you know, responsible for allocating this money. And then on a provincial level, of course, and also at the federal level, we need to prioritize home care because this is going to be a lot cheaper. This is where people want to be. Our taxpayer dollars will go further. It'll be a lot better for everyone. Yeah, it's exactly uh, uh, the thinking that I've had over the last several years, uh, certainly with the uh, experiences that we've had within my family. And we've all had a taste of what this is going to be like, a bit of a foreshadowing because of what happened in long-term care homes at the beginning of the COVID crisis. If you thought it was bad, unless we do something, it's not going to get any better in the next five to 10 years. Yeah, and I'm very worried about that because I feel that you know, at least our current um, Ontario provincial government, I think, you know, they're trying to continue more of the same and they're trying to build their way out of this crisis. So, of course, that's 
not good because it's going to be very more, it's going to be a lot more expensive. Um, I, I can tell you that there's data that shows that, for example, on average, when we look at home care patients in Canada, on average, people receive about five hours of care a week. And even if that number went from five hours to an average of 22 hours per week, it would still be cheaper than long-term care and institutionalization. So, this is actually a no-brainer. We don't need to be, you know, like, for example, none of us need to have a PhD in economics to understand that this is so much better. And it's time for our governments, you know, across different levels and across political parties to make this shift at this point in time. Something to uh, consider over the next several weeks, certainly. Uh, Dr. Arya, thank you again for taking time to speak with us. I know you're very busy and I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you so much. Dr. Ahmed Arya, palliative care physician, also a, an assistant clinical professor for the Department of Family Medicine at McMaster University, talking about long-term care and what we all might want to uh, make a priority as we make a decision in the next several weeks. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.